1: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Golden Guest hot Tottenham sponsored by NordVPN. Today we're discussing Sunday's 2-0 North London Derby defeat against Arsenal, as well as also looking ahead to Thursday's trip to Manchester City. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, going to be another positive one today, this podcast.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, wonderful. <laughs> uh, North London Derby defeat, honestly. There's nothing like having to talk or write about one of those after they've happened. Um, this one had so much to it as well. On the pitch, off the pitch, aftermath, um, press conference, which was just weird. Some of the stuff that Conte was coming out of—he kind of—it was almost like he hadn't had a North London derby defeat. And we were talking about some other game, but we shall cover all of that in the uh, in this
1: show. Right, so it was Arsenal coming out on top, (coughs) 2-0 win. Hugo Lloris, own goal after 14 minutes, then Martin Odegaard with a strike from distance nine minutes before half-time. Tottenham, as has been the case uh, over the course of this season, were a lot better after the break, but just couldn't find that breakthrough. So it was Arsenal who won uh, 2-0 to extend their lead at the top of the Premier League to eight points. Spurs now... Five points behind Newcastle United and Manchester United in the race for a Champions League place. Ali, as you were at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday, do you want to just give us your thoughts first of all on the on the game?
0: <sighs> <laughs> Did I have to? Um, yes, you have to. <laughs> uh, I was sat amongst some of the Arsenal journo's before the game. You know, we've 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 worked with a few of them. They used to work for Football. London and. And they were all saying the same thing. Oh, you know, these always go with the home team. It's always the way it went. I just had this feeling about this game that Spurs just haven't felt right this season. I didn't feel that that kind of pattern was going to keep going. Um, the only pattern that kept going was this stupid blueprint of how they play matches, Tottenham. It's it's just weird now. Honestly, start brightly for about the first five to 10 minutes, press up high up the pitch, cause some issues, but don't actually score any goals. Then it's like someone flips a switch at the side of the pitch or on the pitch, and they all start retreating deeper and deeper and deeper back down the pitch, invite loads of pressure, concede one, maybe two goals, and then in the second half, come out going, yeah, come on, lads, let's fix this. And honestly, you can't do that against anyone that's like top eight team pretty much. It just doesn't work. You can't keep trying to come back from this awful 25 minutes or so in the first half or 30 minutes. It's It was just so boringly predictable. Um, and you could see it coming from a mile off. I mean, look, it doesn't help when your goalkeeper throws the ball into his own net, of course. But just... To follow this pattern in nearly all of the, what are we up to, 19, 18, 19 games so far? And actually, that's not even including the games in, in Europe as well in which it's happened um, and in the uh, the League Cup as well. So I don't understand why it's happening. This team should be, We, you know, I was out in South Korea watching Harry Kane puking by the side of the pitch, Sonny fa- almost fainting at the side of the pitch because of the fitness work they were putting in. There is no way that that team is not fit enough to press for the majority of matches and be you know a real nuisance to the other team. Where this sitting back rubbish has come from, I have no idea. I don't think Conte is telling them to do it, because certainly in the second half, although Conte was a bit weird, first half, very kind of quiet, pensive, watching the game. The odd point and shout, but not much. Second half, back to his madman kind of emotions that we know. And there was one moment where I could see him absolutely screaming at Matt Doherty to get up and press high up the pitch. So I can't imagine he's saying, all right, lads, I've got this great tactic. Uh, if you could just do it for the first five or ten minutes, and then after that, if you just go and sit around the edge of the penalty area, I think it's a winner. And it's like, he it, it can't be saying that. So it just must be some natural lack of confidence thing. I have no idea. But, oh, my goodness, it's become so frustrating to watch. And when you know you've got Man City coming up, who are just going to pin Spurs back for long periods in both games, and you've got a resurgent Fulham side as well, it's like they have to sort it out. Even in the games they've won, this pattern has been there. You know, last it's so weird. If anyone goes like goes back a year, they'll probably hear me having the same rant about the win loss, win loss, win loss matches. <laughs> and now they've just developed this new pattern this season. It's like, why can't they just be normal? Why can't they just play football like other teams? Um, it's so frustrating. And you can feel the frustration among the fans. You can feel the frustration about the the board, Daniel Levy, the powers that be. You can feel a growing frustration about Conte now. You can feel a growing frustration about the players. And the problem is, is this is such a crucial fortnight now. If they come through it as a complete kind of walking disaster, um, if they don't get a, very, a certain amount of points from these next three Premier League games and also ally that with a bit of an iffy transfer window, honestly, it's just going to be the most toxic atmosphere ever. So, uh, yeah, someone needs to just sort it out, whether it is Daniel Levy at the top and actually takes charge and makes sure things happen, or it's Antonio Conte kind of finding a way forward on the pitch, or maybe it could be as simple as having some of these injured players back. But, yeah, they need to find a way through it because it could end up being a disastrous fortnight. Or, like last year... It could end up being the time that makes Spurs and we get a second-half surge. I don't mean Serge Aurier. <laughs> <laughs> they played very I'll, well at Forrest. Jonathan Veal that yeah, covers yeah. Nottingham Forest, yeah. used to uh, be a Spurs reporter. He says that Serge is, uh, has, has been absolute blinders he's been playing. So maybe we need him back.
1: Yeah, I heard he got man of the match the other day against Leicester. Uh, But yeah, I can see these next two weeks, I think everyone probably can predict what will happen and it'll be an explosive Antonio Conte press conference ahead of the Man City Mm -hmm. game at the start of the February because he's not happy uh, about what's happened over the last fortnight. But we will come into that into a bit more depth later on. In terms of Tottenham, you know, just gradually moving back on the pitch... This has been a problem for ages. I'm sure Jose Mourinho mentioned this during uh, his spell as manager, and basically saying he's not telling them to, you know, yeah. sit back and combat. That's what they're just naturally doing, and this has been the case over a, a number of managers now. And yeah, it's a real, real problem. And obviously, on Sunday, you're just not helped first of all by Hugo Lloris <laughs> making oh, yet another goodness. mistake. That's Four uh, errors leading to goals this season. I think that's more than anyone in the Premier League. Uh, I think it's double the next player on that list. On two, it's just it's just not good enough. Such a an experienced player, and just watching the goal back, yeah, it does take a little nick off Ryan Sessignon, but it's not. It don't make the ball deviate so much. It just looks a simple take for him, and it. I don't know what it is. He literally he just falls and parries it into his own net and it's not helping at all and the, the errors are becoming far too frequent now. I mean Tottenham have needed a re- Tottenham have needed to find a long-term successor for Hugo Lloris for a, a number of years now but I think they certainly need to accelerate it because it's just costing too many goals and it's just giving the team such an uphill battle and that's the last thing you need in a derby match as well because then your confidence drops arsenal's confidence lifts and you know they went on and and got a second and they probably could have had a couple more in the first half but i mean even prior to that Larice mistake he made one a few minutes earlier with with his feet just not getting rid of the ball early enough and I think Longley probably could have got rid of it earlier and it culminated in the chance for Eddie and Ketia. And yeah, good save from Hugo Lloris to a turn for that era, but it's something he shouldn't have been making in the first place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's quite sad watching Hugo at the moment because, you know, you've got to say first off, brilliant servant, servant for Tottenham Hotspur. Ten and a half years at the club. Uh, I think it's 440 games he's played for Spurs. 149 clean sheets. He's given everything for Spurs, you know, and he's been there. for He has saved Spurs so many lost points over the years. He really has. You know, you've got to say all of that first up. He's, I mean, God, even from a financial point of view, he saved Spurs millions over the years and having to sign a new goalkeeper. It just, it's, that's what makes it so sad to watch now is that I think the mistakes that used to be limited mainly to his feet are now spreading a bit more to his hands and that's the, Biggest issue right now is, especially as your captain, you know, you're the one that sets the tone. You're the one that's supposed to inspire everyone. Um, you know, he's the World Cup winner. So he's the most experienced, the calm head. But the problem is, is if mistakes are coming through him and they are leading directly to goals, you can you can see it on the pitch. Um, just in Sunday's game, when the ball was played back to him in a tough situation, you could feel the anxiety in the crowd, um, you know, there was noises a bit like a Ooh, kind of thing, and then that's it's it just it creates the whole wrong tone. And the players after the goal went in, you could just see it, they're just crestfallen. It's like, well, what are we supposed to do about that? You're kind of almost playing at a losing wicket before you've even got going. Um and yeah, I mean, we've said before that Spurs' plan was this summer to start to bring in the long term successor for Larice. Um I'd be stunned if they did that this window, but you never know if a sudden opportunity arose. But I think the plan was to, over the course of next season, was to um, have his successor take over. But I do wonder now where we get into a situation where the successor is in place at the start of the season. Um, and then you've got a choice either, I guess, for Lloris to continue to try and compete with him or Lloris just thinks, well, because he's always said he wants to go back to France, doesn't he, to kind of see out his career. Maybe he decides, well, I've got a year left, I'm sure, you know, I've earned the right to just go if you guys want to mutually separate, and and maybe he heads off and and does that, and it will be incredibly sad, you know, I think think people underestimate what a captain he's been over the years, Um, just because they see him as quite this quiet, stoic guy, I think they underestimate how much of an impression his voice makes. Behind the scenes, and also you and I heard it in the, in the yeah. time when there was COVID yeah, and you were no, no crowds. He is a he is a leader. He's an organizer. You just can't hear it when there's a full crowd in there, but those players can. Um, yeah, I'll be incredibly sad when his time at Spurs is up. But unfortunately, I just feel like it almost feels like we're seeing the end game of his time. I mean, he is 36. I know some some goalkeepers may have a bit of an Indian summer. They may suddenly kind of um, refine their best form. Um, But he's just, he's got the backing of Conte, but he's really kind of got to get get out of this uh, funk, I suppose is the best way to put it. Hopefully that's all it is, but yeah, it just feels like it's something a little bit more, unfortunately.
1: I don't think he's really had, you know, a competitor at the club, like really, really pushing him that 1st yeah. uh, choice spot. was
0: meant to be, wasn't he? But
1: it just yeah. didn't work out. Yeah, that one didn't work out. I think there's always been, you know, a decent understudy, you know, Michel Vaughn, Fraser Foster's a good understudy, but I don't think mm. there's ever been anyone just like really, really pushing him and keeping him on his toes for that number one spot. Yeah, and maybe that has played a part in, you know, his recent form. But as you were saying, really, really good servant to the club, saved the club a number of times. Uh, in these ten years at the club, but the errors are just becoming far too more frequent, and it's something Spurs really just need to cut out because it's just giving them an uphill battle at times, which unfortunately they're just not overcoming in some games.
0: Well, you made a great to... point there. I just just to very quickly say, yeah, you know you make a great point there about the competition. His probably most consistent season was the Gallini se- uh, season, yeah, when Nuno I think had designs of replacing Larice paratici had decided i think galini was the one to replace him and Larice kind of fought back um and yeah i do think last season was his best so i think you've, you've made a great point that maybe and this is no disrespect to forster because he played what 25 premier league games last season so i think he he was a more than capable backup um and i know i've seen some people calling for him to to start in the coming matches but had they maybe gone for that successor last summer and really put a bit of money, maybe you actually would have seen a better season from Larice. perhaps. I don't know.
1: Yeah, could well be. Right, shall we discuss the second Arsenal goal now? Because that all came from a Lloris goal kick, quickly turned over, and then Martino, the guy, just had acres of space to get a shot off on goal and, you know, found the bottom corner. Not a good one to concede, was it, from a Tottenham perspective? No.
0: No, not at all. The midfield was all over the place. Look, I, I'm, I'm really wary of criticising the midfield too much because it was a new one. Obviously, Pape Matassar, um, Hoybeer put together and most probably crucially, a midfield two against Arsenal's three, which, yeah, Conte doesn't like to match up in that midfield. Um, and I just wonder whether some of these games, these are the ones to do it. But I was about to say, oh, you know, but if you, if you want to go three in midfield at home, you know, it, it doesn't send the right impression. It's like, well, <laughs> they, they didn't send the right impression anyway, so it didn't really make any difference. Um, but yeah, it was, it was poor. And then I kind of watched it back because I was trying to work out who was standing off him so much. And actually it ended up being Romero, which surprised me because Romero was quite aggressive and front foot in the game as he always is. But actually for that goal, he just stood and kind of half turned his back. He didn't really close him down. Um, and he had so much time to pick his space. I mean, Odegaard was very good in a very good game. Um, you know, we talk about captains, and he's obviously a very young captain that's that's leading Arsenal very well right now. Um, and it was it was a perfect finish. But to be honest, I mean, it was Partey had a cracking volley that yeah. hit the post as yeah. well. Because um, didn't he score? Did he score in the uh, one early in the season?
1: Yeah, I think he it? scored the first yeah. one, uh, top corner from outside the yeah. box. Yeah.
0: But it's like, why aren't they learning from those lessons? They they clearly have conceded um, long-range goals to Arsenal, but it seemed no real desire to close down. It it all keeps coming back to the pressing. You know, I will say it until I'm blue in the face. The best Tottenham Hotspur is the pressing Tottenham Hotspur, the one that we see absolutely engaging teams all across the pitch, causing them problems, never giving them a split second to even think about what they're doing. Yes, it, it um, requires a lot of fitness. And yes, in the early Potch years, they were a bit knackered towards the end of the season. But he kind of sorted that out. And I don't understand why this super fit Conte side, with people like Harry Kane saying it's the fittest they've ever been, why are they not able to press constantly? Because it's leading to these goals, this space. that How many times you and I have analysed matches and we've said, he had all the time in the world to do this and all the time in the world to do that. It's such a constant theme. Um, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And if they do that against City, I really fear about the scoreline at the Etihad. I feel like it's another one of those, a bit like I was saying about the Arsenal reports early on, that we're, we're almost, because Spurs have gone to the Etihad and done well in recent seasons, we're expecting that pattern to follow. And I just think the way they're playing right now, it could go completely the opposite direction if they're not careful, if they're not utterly switched on for this game. and And you need a bit of luck. You need a bit of luck as well, I think, when you go to the head, Um, when they start really raining the shots down on goal. Um, they're going to have problems. But if they press them, if they show this energy that must be within those legs, um, then they can cause them problems. But yeah, otherwise you get goals like you did with Odegaard's.
1: I think obviously key to first is just starting from the first whistle, just being on it. Uh, from the get-go because (laughs) this has been the case over the course of the season poor first half decent second half to be honest and Tottenham had chances to be honest they had a couple of good chances in the first half I think an on-form Son Heung-min might have taken that chance when Session played a really good ball through to him Yeah, Uh,
0: first pass it was a good pass
1: Good save from Ramsdale, first of all, I thought, and then Ramsdale made another good save uh, just at the end. I think it was literally the last few seconds of the first half where Harry Kane had a header at the near post that almost crept in, but Ramsdale saved well again. And after the break, I think it was in a five-minute period, literally straight after the restart, Kleszewski curled one over. Harry Kane had a shot from distance that was well saved by Ramsdale. And then Sessignon was played through, and another decent save with uh, by Ramsdale with his foot to stop the ball from going in the bottom corner. So, you know, it wasn't a game where Tottenham weren't without the chances. They actually had more shots uh, than Arsenal. I think it was seven shots on target compared to Arsenal's five. And Aaron Ramsdale ended up with the man of the match award. It really was, you know, a tale of two goalkeepers, a one on the pitch.
0: I'll give you the stats. Go on, then. then. I must stress, before I even say the stats, Spurs deserve to lose. Arsenal deserve to win. There's absolutely no doubt about that, which makes Ramsdale being the man of the match even more bizarre. But Spurs had 17 shots on goal. 17 to Arsenal's 14, and like you say, seven efforts on target to their five. And Ramsdale, honestly, the save he made from Sessegnon in the second half was superb. I mean, I know it was with his foot, but the reactions to get there, that was heading into the bottom corner. Um And, yeah, he did. He made probably, I think someone told that, was out of five or six top, top saves, like really good level saves, Um, yet Spurs didn't deserve to win. It's such a, it was such a weird derby. It really was.
1: Yeah, and if one of those chances goes in at the start of the second half, then all of a sudden... The crowd lifts, and I've said it before. Two 0 n- two nil is such a weird scoreline because if mm. a team gets goal back, the momentum just swings totally, and then you're thinking, yeah, another goal's coming. And didn't Eric Dyer even said that in his post-match press conference with Sky? If they'd managed to get a first goal, then you, you never know what could have happened. But I think the Kane header, the didn't Kane header just yeah. before the break. I think that might
0: have swung it. Order session on one. Either of those two, I think, were at key times.
1: Yeah, obviously if Kane had got that one, then, you know, the halftime team talks changed and that's for both, both teams. So, uh, yeah, it's just...
0: It's maybe Sonny's as well. I'm probably being harsher on them. I think Sonny's one early on was that, that would have been 1-1, wouldn't it? I think Conte picked that one out, yeah. I think, because that would have been 1-1 and then maybe that changes the dynamic. Yeah, possibly.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, Tottenham didn't manage to get the goal and it was Arsenal who came away with all three points. So, yeah, it's something Tottenham need to sort out at that end of the pitch, I think.
0: They really, really do. Um, Yeah, just just reflect on it. And I think it was such a weird atmosphere because we were all expecting the half-time boos. They never came because we had that weird moment right before half-time when... Hoy Beer went down in the box and it looked, everyone in the press box thought the ref had pointed to the spot. And I think everyone in the ground did. And then suddenly he just blew the halftime whistle (laughs) and everyone went in. And I think all the fans were like, oh, I didn't even know what to do. They're all ready to boo (laughs) and they didn't do it. So they kind of just walked off to the, the concourses to get whatever their pies and beer and whatever. So that was weird. And then at the end of the game as well, we were like, oh, there's going to be some like chance here. And the Spurs pumped out some music so loudly. It was like, okay, there can't even be any murmurs of discontent with that. Um, it was a strange game. But this is what Spurs do because, because you feel like they're trying in the second half as well. It maybe slightly distorts the view on the game maybe. I don't know. You think, oh, well, they had a good go. And the trouble was Conte came out and said stuff like that in his press conference. And I was just thinking to myself, oh, stop just stop. It all sounds so mid-table. Oh, didn't we try hard? It's like, no, 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 you lost 2-0 in a North London London derby at home. It's four defeats out of five at home. And you do not lose your home games. You can get away with some away ones because you haven't got 60,000 fans that have paid to turn up and watch you. But when you're doing it at home, to be fair to him, he did apologize in the Spurs play interview he did. I saw that. He did offer an apology to the fans but his press conference afterwards was just one of those i had to you know i don't always have to like having to ask this question but it's because no one else does just the generic you know what did you think of the performance antonio because no one else would do it which was annoying it's a weird press conference <laughs> i asked that question he did a long kind of answer about it and then i'm thinking okay i Really want to ask a follow-up, but I probably shouldn't because there'll be loads of other people ready to ask questions. And two other people asked questions and then there just was a very quick silence and they went, okay, thanks, everyone. I was like, no, I had more questions to ask. I just wish I hadn't thrown it out to the room. Um, but yeah, his, his answer to my just generic, what did you think of the performance, was such a long, rambling answer that ended up talking about young players he'd given chances to he mentioned Jaffet Tenganga. And I was, oh, I almost, I just was tempted to just stand up and go, no, no, stop. What are you doing? And talk about the chances you've given Jaffet Tanganga. He started one Premier League match this season, and he's not even in the squad today. <laughs> Why are you telling us about Jaffet Tenganga after a North London derby defeat? He just went down this weird path. And it's, it's really strange. Ever since... I'm not going to say the Golden Guest podcast has done it, but ever since there was a little bit more of a notice being paid to the fact that he wasn't paying young players, it feels like every press conference he said, I use a young player. Look, I use another young player. Look, everyone, look, 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 there's a young player over there. And it's like, you just want to stop and say, oh, Antonio, we know you only used them because other people were injured. <laughs> Don't try to <and laughs> pretend that it was your master plan. You know, Saar would not have started that game had Basuma's ankle been fine, but Basuma had ankle problems. So yeah, he went down this weird rabbit hole uh, and we all kind of had to follow him down there as he, as he spoke about the young players and, and also how he wasn't disappointed with his team because they showed a great reaction in the second half But he was a little bit disappointed. It's like, well, are you disappointed or are you not disappointed? Um, I really like Antonio Conte. And I think he's a terrific coach. But I just think he's not um, in his best way right now. I think that's probably the way I'd put it. I think he is renowned as one of the best coaches in the game. But right now... I would struggle to tell you players that he's improved at Tottenham in this moment. And that's a real surprise for me because I think he did brilliant things last season without doubt. The whole team was you 20-fold better than it was, the the improvement he got in all the players. But this season, it feels like a a lot of the players have gone backwards. Um, And I don't understand why that is. Look... I should stress very quickly, if, if you've criticised Conte <laughs> and there's people that um, you know believe that the board or Daniel Levy is the answer, um, people get a bit upset if you criticise Conte as well. It's fine to criticise all of them. It's absolutely fine. You can hold all of them accountable, some more than others if you want. I do believe that Daniel Levy and the board have not had a joined-up plan for Tottenham. I think they've lurched from one different thing to the next. I do think that they haven't invested enough for a manager like Antonio Conte. You thoroughly research that manager and you bring him in. And I feel like, yes, they put in 130 million. I think we worked it out was in the summer, but you could argue that that was across seven players. So if you average that out, then that's not as much as other teams are spending on individual players. Although yes, Richarlison was the big signing. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And I do think that they've let down previous managers as well, Poch probably being the main one. Absolutely. So if I'm criticising Antonio Conte, it doesn't mean that I'm not criticising the board as well. And I also want to put the players in there because we've just spoken about it. If your captain is lobbing the ball into his own net, they absolutely, that is an issue as well. Um, if Sonny, who was an incredible player last season, golden boot winner, is having probably, let's be honest, the worst season of his career thus far, I'd say. I think he is. He admits it himself. He's not playing to the as he is. That is another issue. Um, even Harry Kane, I'd say scoring goals galore, but are we seeing the all-round brilliant Harry Kane that we've seen in previous seasons? Probably not. Um, is Hoybier having the season of his life? Probably not. I think he's added more attacking uh, elements to his bow, but is he doing particularly... You know, amazing things overall? Probably not. Is Christian Romero, World Cup winner, is he every week going out there and being the best defender on that pitch? Probably not. Um, and again, you can attribute that to the players, you can attribute that to Conte, whatever you want to do. They can all be responsible for this issue. Um, there's almost a feeling out there that if you criticise more than one faction, then you're detracting from, or distracting from the overall message. And it doesn't have to be like that, you know. Often, when there's problems within a club, it's because all the little bits don't fit together properly, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. But it's all fixable. The board, Daniel Levy, can press the green light on transfers in the next two weeks. They can give more another kuliseski bentoncourt type window. They can bring in some game changers that make everything much better. That that can happen. The players can focus and be more. Um how do I put it? Uh it could just be better. <laughs> it's really an easy yeah. word to say. They could be better. Um, and Conte himself, he can be more flexible with his tactics. He can he can change things up. He doesn't have to be wed to this 3-4-3 all the time. He can sometimes put three in the midfield. You know, occasionally maybe he might even play with a back four. Who knows? You know, he can change things up. Um, because I do feel like it worked last season, but maybe this season. Opponents know exactly what they're going to get from Spurs. They know the way they're going to line up. They know the way they're going to play. Uh, we've heard managers say that. Um, I've heard Thomas Frank essentially said it um, in uh, was it the Brentford game? I'm trying to remember if that was the Brentford game this season or last. But he pretty much came out and said, "Well, we know exactly how they were going to come out and play." And I do think that that's, Spurs are very predictable. So yeah, it's um, I, I just find it odd when when <sighs> I don't know. You you can't look at the whole picture. I think everything can be wrong, which <laughs> sounds incredibly depressing. But you know what I mean. There can be many many elements to something. Um, but hey, not to end or not to go down a depressing kind of rabbit hole there. But it can change, and there's lots of ways you can see how it can change. It just needs to be done.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check planning for what's next and how to say for it. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. We've seen in the past, Conte's a manager who wants the club to spend big money and bringing the top, top players to help him achieve his targets and win trophies. But surely if you are a top, top manager, you should be getting more out of the team, regardless of the situation. Say if you went into a club down the bottom of the league who doesn't have a lot of money, but you are a top, top manager, surely you can get them higher up the table and move them up. And, and you did surely, that last season. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, what's the problem now? Surely you, there's still a good group of players at Tottenham. Well, we were looking Kane, at that squad. Son, Kulaseski, Benton Kerr, you know, Richarlison. He's got a really good squad there. They should be doing a lot, lot more. It's yeah. just,
0: but we couldn't even work out who's going to get left off that bench yesterday. And and if you think, you add ben, Lucas and Benton Kerr to that mix, there's some big players not even making the match day squad. So, I don't subscribe to this. The squad is terrible. I do agree that I think the defence could do with this some upgrades. I do, um, 100%. But I do think pretty much the majority of the players on the pitch, when he's got everyone fit, and he'll say that that's been a major issue, has been the injuries. And I'll agree with him. I think in Kuliszewski and Richardson definitely missing big chunks of the season he's had really i mean for sonny for instance sonny's had no real competition and i think that is like we were saying with Lloris. i do think that's contributed um you know we saw the one game he's benched came on and scored a hat-trick so <laughs> clearly he's a man that needs that competition it couldn't be more uh glaring i guess uh but yeah that squad i do still think that the squad is stronger than what it's uh producing
1: Yeah, Right, as we're at the halfway stage of the pod, Ali, do you want to tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN?
0: Yeah, of course. If you weren't aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, which means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Um, I've done that repeatedly not throttled my bandwidth but i have gone off across the world and been able to use nordvpn to help me either watch things that i would normally watch at home which i pay for but for some unknown reason when you go to a foreign country they stop you from watching what you have paid for so with nordvpn you can just set that your, your your device to think you're in london or in england and you can just watch things as normal and likewise you can set it to think you're anywhere in the world so you can benefit from the the streaming services or anything from other places in the world. Um so that means that not only you know what's the best way to put it you know the the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you I guess in the long run because of that. It's because you can purchase these streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So let's say YouTube premium uh is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And booking flights, yeah, I guess booking flights from other countries can be cheaper too. Meaning you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There are a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, uh, not to mention security on your devices and and stopping stopping people taking them off them. You know, through the world of a. Uh, the internet i guess so you know why not give it a go you can grab your exclusive nordvpn deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your nordvpn plan plus four additional months for free it's completely risk-free with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee
1: before we talk about the importance of the next two weeks i think there's one play we need to discuss after sunday and that's pape Matasa. i know it's hard to find the positives in what happened against Arsenal, but I think Tottenham fans can agree, you know, if they were to find one glimmer of hope from that performance, then probably Pape Matassa in his first ever Premier League start. I think it was certainly a surprise when the team news was announced at three thirty ahead of kickoff that Sa was in there. I think all eyes were on whether Rodrigo Bentonker would be in the squad and in the starting lineup. He missed out. Yves Spasuma who suffered uh, an injury in the warm-up against Portsmouth a week earlier, he wasn't in the team, he was on the bench and then Oliver Skip was there as well. So, massive show of faith uh, in Saar from Conte and I think what we a lot of people noticed ahead of the game when the players were in the tunnel, Conte actually went over to Saar and gave him a, a kiss on the head before he went out and, you know, quite a touching moment really. Uh, and then... Saar on the pitch didn't look out of place for me I thought it was a really assured performance from the player I thought he used the ball well and yeah they were outnumbered in midfield quite often but for me he was a shining light for Tottenham on what was a dismal day
0: Yeah I think he's going to be a superstar. I do Um, (laughs) I got it in there you you can't see Guesty's face when I say stuff like that It's, it's priceless it's the only reason I say stuff like that um no but he is you could just see a player utterly at ease with the level he's playing at um despite the fact that it's so new to him i mean that was his full debut full premier league debut and it comes in a north london derby (laughs) that's just madness um and we've seen it before funnily enough normally it's academy products i think ryan mason has done it before maybe tom carroll danny rose there's been a few but for to come in from another country. And this is the fascinating thing, I think, about footballers for me is that obviously we, when we we, Guesty and I do our loan roundup, so we keep a very close eye on the players out on loan. And we knew what a tough season Saar was having last year. It was a real um what's the best way to put it? Experience building season. You know, Mets really, really struggled in the League Earn. Uh, obviously got themselves, they got relegated in the end, didn't they? Um But he was a major part in them having any chance of staying up, really. He started, I'd say, about 80% of their games, maybe 75%. And in the other games, he was coming on in every single game. And you can't underestimate, while that's such a difficult experience and while it must feel, I guess, quite depressing to play in a team that is getting tonked a fair few weeks, but also how important it is for his battling nature um, and to to very quickly mature a player. So I find it fascinating because I think some people would have seen that just on paper and said, oh, he's playing at a team that like bottom got relegated in the League and how in the world is he ever going to play in a Premier League team? And the answer I think is just because of his natural talent and what actually that relegation season did was mature everything else about him. And so he's able to come into this situation, play in front of almost 62,000 fans and not look phased whatsoever Because in his mind, he's probably thinking, uh, I've played him worse. You know, I've I've had to try and keep a team from falling out of a league. So just playing a game of football between, you know, the fifth place team and the top team in the country is probably, (laughs) is far less actual stress than that would be. Um, And I've been so impressed with him. He's, yeah, that little moment in the tunnel was lovely. And just Conte, his, you know, we've said this before, he's just really taken a shine to him um you know for, for after mocking him slightly about the young players with sarr he generally has a real affection for and you can see And, and it, i mean he said afterwards that i played skip against palace and i've played Sar against arsenal but i do i don't know about you but i kind of feel like maybe Sar has gone up the pecking order uh, t- maybe even temporarily above skip i guess they're different players they offer you something a little bit different um I, just, I love the fact that we're seeing this version of Sars, like a gangly version, whereas I reckon in about a couple of years we're going to see a real complete physical player because um, I think he's pretty strong as he is, but I think he's only going to get stronger. He's got a lovely touch. His technique's excellent. Um, I'll just have a look because I think I took down some stats from his performance because I looked him up. Um, let's have a look here. I can get them for you if my screen is working. Um but, you know, honestly, I was so, so impressed with him. Um, he's, oh, he's 20. He's only just turned 20 as well. Um, what I like about him as well is he's he's a guy that probably overall has maybe played in more attacking positions. If you look at how Mets used him, he's, he's very versatile. So they've used him in different roles. Um, but Conte is kind of using him in this more defensive role. Um he probably gets further up less, and you know when Hoybier and Bentonker play, they kind of take it in turns, don't they, to be the attacking one of the two, and you see either of them bursting forward, uh, with the other one sitting back. But I kind of felt that Hoybier exclusively had that role, um, and whereas with um, with Saar, it was uh, it was his duty to sit back. I'm desperate. You can see I'm kind of I'm padding slightly as I find his stats. I found it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. He made three tackles three interceptions and one clearance. And those stats are better numbers than anywhere else on the pitch when it comes to defensive contribution. And his passing, 89.1%, which was higher than every other Spurs player, barring Clement Longley, who had 90.8. And yeah, Conte spoke to Spurs player about him afterwards, was very happy with him. Um, And I do, you know, I know I said superstar and all that, but I do feel like... We could be, it's very early days and young players can go either way, but I'm quite hopeful that we're seeing the, I don't say the birth, that sounds weird, but the emergence of a real quality player at Spurs. Um, And I do think he's only going to get better and better. Uh, Logically, he should, and hopefully he actually does. Um, Yeah, like you say, it's nice to talk about something positive (laughs) in that match, and he definitely was one of those positives.
1: Yeah, he is, he's a really good player. Reminds me a bit of a young Patrick Vieira. Like you said, he is a gangly player yeah, and he's going to fill out that. at some point. <laughs> but when you look at his performances, you're just thinking, why on earth didn't he get any minutes at all in the first part of the season? But, you know, I think
0: it-, it just took that him coming back early, didn't it? It's really weird. Such a simple thing. But him coming back early from the World Cup to show that he wanted to work with Conte just seemed to convince Conte. But it's weird because, yeah, like you say, he, he was working with him all through the summer. He was working yeah. through with him in South Korea. Um, why it's taken this long, I I don't know.
1: But I think he's definitely ahead of Oliver Skip in the pecking order now. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a definite. And we will see more of him over the course of the season. I think that's certainly something Tottenham fans can look forward to. Right then, the next two weeks, these are, extremely important in the world of Tottenham Hotspur. There's some huge, huge games coming up, as Ali alluded to earlier. Man City away on Thursday. A really tough game at Fulham now. Fulham are only a few points behind uh, Spurs in the table. That's on Monday night at Craven Cottage. Fulham have been going so, so well this season. And then there's the FA Cup tie at Preston, what won't be straightforward at all. Obviously, Tottenham did go out against Middlesbrough. Uh, last season in the Cup. And then at the start of February, another home game against Manchester City. Then you add in what Tottenham need to do in the transfer market. Two weeks now until deadline day, I believe. This is a huge, huge period coming up for Spurs and they need to get it right on and off the pitch.
0: Yeah, it's a cliche, but I don't think it's a wrong cliche. I think it's make or break for this season. I do. I think what happens in this next two weeks It can be, it would be nice if it's both aspects, on and off the pitch, go well. But I think it probably just needs to be one of them to really kind of, you know, they could probably um, not get the maximum amount of, not maximum, they're not going to get, probably not going to get the maximum points, but they could probably get away with not getting the results they want in the next fortnight if they smash it in the transfer window. Because I think the second half of the season, then you can get the momentum almost through that. Um, Yeah, I sort of wonder whether you can get away with one and the other. Maybe you can't get away with just the results because obviously you get injuries and you're just going to have problems as the season goes on. I think, yeah, it boils down to these last two weeks of transfer window are crucial. I think that's what it all comes down to, really. I think all eyes really on Levy and what he does. Um, I know you said earlier about Conte maybe having a raging press conference uh, (laughs) at the start of February. I'd actually be more worried if it wasn't. It's when you get a Conte that looks completely apathetic to it all, who doesn't really care. I think that's the biggest problem. I think if if he's angry about it, it kind of shows that he cares still, which is important. I'd be more concerned if it goes the other way. Because, you know, this is the other issues. Obviously, we've got the whole future of Conte again <laughs> as part of the whole package. Um, it just feels so... We're talking about patterns. It feels like last year all over again. I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, it rumbles on again until the end of the season. And Because, obviously, we know Spurs have got this option to kind of control it. Um, sorry, not to control it. An option to add another 12 months onto his deal. But, Yeah, I wonder whether it's just going to be both sides feeling each other out kind of at the moment because there's an interesting different dynamic this time around. Whereas I think last season it was very much Conte was clearly holding all the power. Whereas I think now because the performances haven't been great, they're not great to watch, the results have started to go off a bit of a cliff recently overall. I do think there's a bit more of an element of maybe Spurs being hesitant about wanting him next season because... It's for all of the great things that Conte brings, you know also the other stuff that he'll bring. He, he can be a bit of a, even if he doesn't mean to be, he can be a bit of a destabilizing presence. He, of course he can. You know, we, we've, we've felt this in the past and, and the lack of, I guess, clarity over his future, which spreads to players as well, especially when you've got Harry Kane. You know, Harry Kane in the last 18 months of his deal now, he needs to see that something big is happening at Spurs and there is a pathway forward. I I don't know, it's a question for you. Who's more important to stay, Kane or Conte?
1: Probably Kane, So, I think everyone does. Yeah. Conte will go anyway. Uh, Chelsea, he was there for two seasons in Milan, two seasons as well. I think you know Conte's not a manager who's going to stick around for the long term, but is it a case of, Conte will sign a contract and commit when Harry Kane does and vice versa, maybe. So, mm. yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I want
0: one. both. Let's be honest, yeah. we want both. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, don't, I just thought I'd put that to you because it, it was one I was thinking of yesterday. It's, if Conte sticks around, then it's because he's been backed and hopefully that means good things. But I just wonder whether even, even Kane in his 30s might be more important to whatever comes next at Spurs. It's, it's difficult. Like I said, I'd rather have both. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, sorry, going back to what I was saying, is that there is a little bit more of a balance, I think, now as to who wants who next season. Um, and, you know, if this, if this week goes, or next fortnight, goes horrifically, and let's say Spurs don't take any points from them, you know, I think... I do think the question is if Conte will come out more. And I think you will see more fans angry with Conte as well. I mean, it was difficult to judge, but from what I could tell on social media, and I must admit, I try not to look too much at social media after a match, win or loss. But from what I could tell from the notifications that were popping up on my phone, it appeared to be a little bit more weighted towards Conte this time with this game than maybe it has always been Levy pretty much after every other defeat. Um, so it'd be interesting to see which way that goes um, and and who kind of gets drawn into the blame game, as it were. Like I say, I, th- I think it's all of the above. But, um, yeah, I think Spurs need to decide – I've said this in the past – they need to decide what they are. What, what are they going to be? What, what What does the future hold? Are they just going to meander towards the end of the season? Are we going to have a, a big fallout with Conte at some point and Ryan Mason comes back in and sees Spurs through to the end of the season – Are they going to go back to being a project manager club? Are they, why don't I just do a swap with Chelsea if this is what they want to be? (laughs) Chelsea clearly have appointed a project manager into a win-now club. Spurs have appointed a win-now manager into a project club. So, I don't know, just do a little swap. Um, And obviously, you've got the presence of the likes of Poch and Tuchel in the background that people obviously are kind of all alluding to. Uh, Both of those come with their pluses and both of them come with their, their negatives as well, you know bring Tuchel in, and that's the fifth Chelsea manager Spurs have picked up after they've been discarded by Chelsea or left Chelsea, which is, that's no way, as much as I think Tuchel would be a good fit, that's no way to run your football club, just to constantly look at a club across the city and go, yep, do what they did, because you can't, we've already seen, you can't replicate like a budget version of Chelsea. It doesn't really work. Although, as I said, I think because of his Dortmund time, I think Tuchel's slightly different to the other ones. But then with Poch as well, I think Poch, there's a lot of nostalgia attached to that. And I have no doubt that some of these players, you know, especially younger players, he could do good things with. But does it work when you come back? Are there many examples of managers coming back where it's been a huge success? I don't know if there has. And I'm pretty sure on that at the top at Tottenham, I'm sure they'd be quite split on whether to bring him back as well. I think there would be some people that want him back and some people that don't. Um, and of course, there's plenty of other managers out there. You know, do you give a young manager a chance? Do you look at someone like Ruben Amerin at Sporting and think there's a real up and coming manager? Maybe he could do terrific things with Tottenham. But ultimately, I'd prefer Conte to just to stay and for Spurs to kind of decide exactly what they are and succeed under him. Um, but, yeah, oh, it's very frustrating. It really is. Them. They, they, it, it get, it just get me wound up just talking about it. I start off all calm and rational, <laughs> and I end up kind of getting uh, all worked up because, yeah, it, it just almost feels like they're stuck in a cycle of weird decisions um, and never truly putting themselves in one direction, and I think that's always been their problem.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting few months coming up at Tottenham and we'll see what happens next. As Ali is off to the press conference in a bit, just quickly before we finish, would you be changing the formation at City? Maybe a 3-5-2 rather than a
0: 3-4-3? You'd think yes, but then you'd look back at last season and it was a 3-4-3, wasn't it? And Kulisiewski yeah. was absolutely crucial so you'd probably be sacrificing Kulisetsky or Son if you're doing that. Um, I think the issue that we're going to have, not issue, but I think the decision that's going to have to be made soon is at what point, with Richarlison back, does Richarlison come in for Son? I think, you know, that's going to be the pressing kind of call now is that, you know, Son was was terrific against at the Etihad last season, but he was terrific at a lot of places last season, which he hasn't been this season And I do – my hope is that, yes, Richarlison ends up pushing Son. Um, Even if he just comes in for one game, fitness-wise, I don't know whether he's quite ready to do that yet or not. Obviously, Benton is another one that we really need to know whether he's ready to start or not. But, yeah, I think Son and Richarlison, maybe that switch is going to be the big question, and then hopefully that pushes Son back into the frame of mind that we need him to be in. Um, But I – after everything i said, I probably would still stick with 3-4-3 because I do think on the counter, that's where Spurs seem to be able to get City.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think Richarlison, for me, I think that might be Monday when he comes in. I don't know if he's in a position to start 90 minutes at the moment after just returning the other day against Arsenal. But certainly going to be a very interesting game. You know, City... You know, the second in the table, but I don't think they've been at the best this season. Lost at home to Brentford, drew against Everton on New Year's Eve. So and then again, you don't know what Tottenham's going to turn up. because no you one expects.
0: Dr. Tottenham will be in the house?
1: <laughs> we'll fix all your ailments. <laughs> Who knows? But you just don't know what Tottenham's going to turn up because I think we went there last season expecting a big defeat, especially after those midweek defeats against Southampton and then the one against Wolves. And then they went and won 3-2. And then followed out with a defeat at Burnley. So <laughs> you just never know in the world of Tottenham. Yeah, but
0: I'm clinging to that. Clinging yeah. to that, like Palace. We didn't think Pal- uh, Spurs would go to Palace and win 4-0. Um, may- maybe they'll surprise us. I really hope they do.
1: Yeah, so hopefully the next podcast we record will be a lot, lot more positive. But let's wait and see. It's Tottenham after all. Right, we'll call time on today's podcast as ever. Just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount of your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.